0: South Australia podcast. Back out the smart. Fakes the pass all the time. Three. Bang! It's Williams Free. Bobs it up for Robert Williams! Shouldn't he go? Taylor Brown went a go her. Tatum. Durant the long reach. Tatum, crossover, pull up jumper, mascot. What is happening, my Celtics-loving brothers and sisters? It is the Celtics Reddit Podcast. This is the podcast for Celtics fans to become Celtics fam. I'm your host, Celtics Jay. I don't have spoons. Spoons decided to go and do a show with someone else. Boo. Now I'm now I'm all by myself. All right, I'm done singing. I do have some company with me here, though, today. Um, coming back into the studio with me is pj uh pj say say what up to the people hello it's that's close to what up that's close that's close we also have with us an incredibly special guest adam taylor is in the house here to share some of his insights about the seas and this matchup here adam we are so glad to have you how are you doing brother
1: Thank you for having me. I'm more than happy. It's a privilege to be here. PJ's got that radio voice though, so uh, you may have been better off with just PJ. I'm doing well. (laughs) I'm doing well. I'm doing well. How are you
0: guys? You know, it's it's. I think it's easier to feel all right after that game to win. Um, It just feels like the world has restabilized a little bit. You know, especially someone like me who rides such an emotional wave with the team. You know when we when we lose, and I'm having to like dig in for all the enthusiasm that I can and the optimism that I can. When they when they come out and show like that, it just makes it a little bit easier. You feel a little vindicated. Um, and I had a special moment with that too because there was a a pregame show. Uh, shout out to Celtics Corner, B Smooth, and and that whole crew. And spoons was actually on their pregame show, and they were talking <clears throat> about the the upcoming game too. And how close it would be, and how challenging, and maybe we won't, we won't even win. And if we go down o two, and I had thrown a comment into the chat while they were talking, just saying, "What are we going to say if they blow this team out? Like, how is our perspective on this going to change, and our perspective on our individual players, our collective team, and what are we going to think about the Milwaukee team at that point?" The, the, in fairness, the message was shorter, <laughs> but that's what was going through my head when I typed it out. And then, of course, the Celtics in just the most poetic fashion come out and do exactly that and blow the team because they all scoffed at it like blow them out the only team likely to get blown out is the celtics okay okay well they came out they handled business and before we dive head first all into that i actually i want to take a moment and because after that game and i want to get both of your takes from that game but after the game there started to be a lot of talk because Luca played afterwards, and, and Luca had a tough go of it just recently, and there's a lot of folks that have been posting on Twitter and on all sorts of social media, all the ways that Luca's getting taken advantage of and hunted on defense right now, and how much that's just proving to be a real big hole in that Dallas scheme to be successful, especially in the playoffs. And so one of the users in our subreddit, user uh, Legends Never Cry. Just put up a post, getting that conversation going again, and asking the question: Are we still thinking, or or do we think it's reasonable for the general public and fan base to consider Lucas still a tier above Tatum? Has Tatum matched that? Has Tatum eclipsed that? I'd love to hear your thoughts, and uh, and Adam, I'd like to start with you.
1: Oh, put me on the spot, man. I, do I put mean, you on this. This is a hot seat, I baby. Mean, <laughs> yeah, baby, I'm down. I mean, for me, it's more like. I've never been one to like these player comparisons, especially when it's like, you know, who's better, Chris Paul or LeBron James. And it's like, dude, it's like, no, you can, I don't know how you expect me to answer this question, like, legitimately. It's a bit different with Luca and Tatum, you know, similar position, similar usage rates. Luca's is a bit higher because um, Tatum can always defer to Brown and whatnot. But I think when you look at Tatum the biggest hole in his game coming into this season was playmaking, right? Like that was where the question mark was. And we knew it would go, We knew it had improved from the start of last season to the start of this season, and it's taken that next leap. And the defense, I have no concerns. I never had concerns anyway. I always saw him as more of a plus off-ball defender than a plus on-ball defender. But that seems to have leveled out now that they're both at a high level. So when you look at, like, two-way player that's a multi-level scorer that can also de- defer to others and facilitate some. I'm at the point where I'm like, dude, yeah, Luka's more of a transcendent offensive piece. I think that's. Like, I, I think some people might take offense to me saying that, but I think it's true. Luka just holds more gravity. Um, but I think that as an overall player, I think Tatum's um, either at that level or surpassed that level now because nobody's hunting Tatum like that. I don't care if if, it's, if Tatum's the only star on the floor at that moment in time for the Boston. We've seen that happen and no one can hunt Tatum like that because he can hold it down. So for me, that means you're more impactful to winning, which means in my opinion, then, you know, we can't place you underneath Lucas. So you're either right next to him or you're slightly above him. And th- that's my honest opinion.
0: PJ, what are your thoughts on this?
2: I'd agree. I think he surpassed him defensively, but I know a the old saying goes, "A bad workman, workman doesn't blame his tools." But Lucas had such turnover with his team, and the the struggles with Chris Stapps. He needs to have the kind of team that Tatum's had around, him, particularly this year, to really start to get into his groove and shine. Um, but yeah, just to to sort of double down on on. Adam's
0: point—he's
2: an offensive savant. You know, you—I—I I got the Larry comparisons. I got why they were being made, but no, I—I th- I think as an all-round player, Tatum is is bettering him at this point in his career. Maybe, maybe Luca takes another leap next year, though. Who knows?
0: You know, it's it's hard to think about where he would take another leap in his game, right? Unless he is just gonna get himself into another level of of fitness and and be able to improve Surely. that lateral quickness and and move his feet more on defense. You know, his offseason attitude
2: is incomparable to Titans.
0: I mean, and that's know. something that both the Jays have gotten a lot of a lot of praise for uh, mm. throughout their their early years in the NBA. I wonder if this speaks a little bit to how how important to the general fan's perspective on a lot of these players that that mainstream media narrative is because Luca really had just a ridiculous PR campaign pushing for him. Like the moment he was drafted, he was really almost immediately touted as a superstar. Um, and I'm not trying to take anything away. I'm I'm really not a Luca hater, uh, but I I wonder if a lot of the sort of, Again, general fan base uh, accolade that he gets is a result of just the amount of attention and the amount of investment that's put into sort of making him a household name in the NBA. Do you guys have any thoughts on that?
1: I mean, I think that one of the biggest things that caused all of that discussion was when was the last time you saw a rookie so NBA ready? Mm. You know, not ready to just come in and contribute and give you 8 to 10 a night, but to come in and literally take the kids to the offense that day. And be be a borderline all-star from the get-go. It's so rare. Like every and obviously there's probably been players in between. Um but I haven't like thought about this in depth. But you know, you think you think of that like who can have that type of impact? LeBron had that type of impact. Yep. Luca had that. And then you're like well, Luca, and there's probably been guys in between, but this is all coming off the dome. Um, but for me, that was what caused such a, a wave of like PR and support because they're like, dude, this guy's came in. From day one, one of the better scorers in the league, one of the more transcendent offensive players, high IQ, um, you know, comes in with European pedigree, playing for Real Madrid, and I think that just played a huge part. That early success from the jump just played such a huge part in the media hype
0: I really appreciate that perspective because that helps me kind of think around it. Where where I I think that helps me not think of it so much as as an empty uh, media push on the the Luca hype, but rather. Yeah, an acknowledgement of what does, especially what did make him unique in that moment. Cause, cause you're absolutely right. And even for those players like that come into the league as, as high level lottery picks that have big impacts and, you know, score plenty of points, have big roles in the team, it's still different, like you're saying, than someone that takes just the full keys to the whole franchise basically and just runs with it and doesn't fall flat on their face. Cause say what you want about dude. But that team's been competitive with them since they've had them, even with all that turnover, even with all the kind of some of the ridiculousness that has gone along with it. It does seem like Tatum has been able to take a more gradual sort of uh, path to where he's at now. But I agree with both you guys where the the full roundedness of the game, the ability to be elite on both sides right now is at this point and given the makeup of both, you know, if you're going to go start a whole new team from scratch and pick one of these guys, I mean, I can't say I'm not biased when I say I would take Tatum, but especially now here, both of your takes on that. I feel like I, I, I'm more understanding of where people are coming from when they're talking about Luca in comparison. All right. But I want to uh, move into getting some takes now on this game too, and focus you know, a little bit more uh, intently on the Celtics here. Uh, and PJ, I'll start with you because I haven't really had a chance to, to touch base with you since game two. What were some of the things that stood out for you? Well,
2: uh, back before game one, if you remember, you guys were talking to B. Smooth of Celtics Corner and I might have gotten a little upset. I thought he was disrespecting the Celtics going into the series, you know, really, <laughs> really favoring the Bucs considering he's a Celtics fan. that's That's kind of a weird take. But, you know, uh, after game one, uh, I felt like I felt like I owed him an apology because you know Giannis was a was an, was a force to be reckoned with, and when he wasn't getting his, everyone else was, and the Celtics struggled. And then game two happened, and you can say that Giannis is the greatest player in the series, but I would say that Grant Williams. He's not just the greatest player in the series. He's the greatest player in the world right now. That man is elite to the point where he, he guards Giannis on 41 possessions and allows five points. I think I've got that right.
0: The Grant wall of Giannis. I'm hashtagging that right now. The Grant wall of Giannis.
2: Uh, Yeah. They just responded in the best possible way. You know, you know, they they held the celtics to roughly 10 points for for most of game 1 what did the celtics do they held they held the bucks to, to almost 20 throughout the game that's that's a response that's coming back fighting adam what were your big takeaways
0: from the game i, I know you you had talked about this a bit um in your previous pod and and, and shout out oh. to to you and all the, the folks at celtics blog doing awesome work over there appreciate everything that you guys are putting out but yes, yeah, some some highlights for you, some things that stood out, um, especially just in comparison or or contrast to what we saw in game one.
1: Yeah, I think for me the biggest difference was how they um, how they guarded Giannis and what yeah. that meant for the shooters. Uh, before we go any further, you keep saying the Celtics corner guys. Jax is my guy. Jax so, is um, a beast. Yeah, Jax is my guy. So I just want to show Jax some love real quick. Yeah. Man, I've got nothing but right. love for that dude. Um. Going backwards back to the basketball discussion, I just you know, I had to I felt like I had to let him know. Um, for me it was like look, when in game one it was a lot of hard digs. As Giannis drove in, you'd get somebody really digging in. And that's fine because it's not technically a double team, you're still gonna dig and recover back to your man. But when it's a hard dig, you've probably taken two or three steps. So there's such a gap that it, there's a shooting pocket available. And what I found was, you know, Giannis would drive, draw that hard dig. Maybe even draw a double plus a dig. So now we're looking at like, you know, like a two and a half team, like a double and point five or whatever. And there was just opportunities for shooters everywhere. There was too much sinking in on Giannis. Mm. Game two, it came round and, you know, it's very much, we're going to man on man with Giannis. As you said, the great wall, the Grant wall of Giannis, which is the best thing I've heard all day. Um, <laughs> absolutely adore it. We had Hawford doing it as well, one-on-one, just absorbing yeah. that contact. You can't drive through him. You can't shoulder through him. Now you're going to have to go post-up. But everybody else is locking down on the perimeter, so there's no passing lanes anywhere. Now things are going to get tough. You know what I'm saying? So I think that was really important. Um, I think Derek White as, a, as an initiator was fantastic. Right. I think uh, really high-level reads, really quick decisions. Uh, I said this on a podcast that comes out tomorrow, but I'll say it here too. I'm gonna sound very English now, but the best thing about Derek White is he doesn't dilly dally. It's very much get the ball and go. You know, yeah, just swing yeah, through, yeah. rip through, and go. And everyone's pointing at Yeah, I, I hated that. <laughs> um, for me, it was very much like you know, you see people. How oh, he didn't put up any points. He, mm-hmm. he, yeah, that's fine. But every shot he takes is within the flow of the offense. Every pass he makes yep. is the right pass. It's always the right read. If he if he penetrates, it's because he wants to force a rotation and find someone open elsewhere. So I think Derek White was really important. And then probably the last thing for me, which I'm really hammering home to everybody at the moment, is at the very end of that game before, you know, before we went to garbage time, we saw holes that kind of rolled the dice and put Yanis into like a, a screen and short roll type of area, right? And um, I think that's really important. I said this on my last podcast as well. Um, because I think that that's, he was gathering data, because there's you know, there's only three ways, really, that you're going to defend the short roll, and two of the three are going to get you in trouble because he's going to put you in jail, he's going to get his hip on you, step in front, put you in jail, and just explode to the rim, or he's going to bully through you. The third option is you're just going to allow him to sit in that mid-range pocket and fire away, and I'm, I'm all right with that. Giannis is 41% on the season from the mid-range. He's 77% outside, like, according to cleaning the glass at the rim.
2: Mm-hmm
1: leave him to take the 41% look instead of, you know what I'm saying? So uh, I think that's going to be a big adjustment because Milwaukee don't really have many, without Chris Middleton, I don't see how many adjustments they have offensively to try and counter this one-on-one Giannis and limiting him and putting him as the screen and roll guy, experimenting with that short roll, attacking the drop in the pocket there. I think that's one of the major adjustments they can make. And for me, I just want them to just live with Giannis shooting that mid-range.
2: Yeah. The major adjustment they seem to have made is, is to, to not allow Holiday so many open looks, which of course came from, from that, you know, double triple teaming of Giannis. When, as you say, you just kind of have to let him be him because he's going to get him and the refs aren't going to call it. I'm wondering, you know, um, there's been so much, talk lately
0: about white and the impact that he had on game two, especially given the fact that he didn't score any points. And I haven't been able to help get this idea out of my head that he's really starting to, to grow into the role that Marcus smart has kind of had up until this point. And even if it's not exactly the same on the court, like it's probably going to be the same across the fan base and the media and the way that they relate to him, because He's probably not going to be a guy that very frequently gets you a whole bunch of buckets. He'll probably have some games where it's like he gets hot and that ends up being a huge difference maker. But ultimately, just like you had said, Adam, he's going to do all those other things that contribute to winning that it makes up for all the other stuff. Because regardless of the points, he's still going to have that plus value out there. Uh, One question that I've got kind of going in my mind here, uh, and it's kind of two sided, because on one hand, I'm wondering your thoughts, especially you, Adam. I'm wondering your, not that I don't want your thoughts too, PJ. I, I just okay. realized the way I said that kind of came off, not exactly how I intended, but I'm going to start, Adam, with you. And I'm wondering why, why did we go into game one with the game plan that we did? Like, why, why did we go into game one and not start off by giving our guys, especially Grant Williams, the chance to just match up with Giannis and see how that goes? I guess let's start there, because then after we kind of explore that, I want to think about how the, one of the key differences from my perspective with Game 1 and Game 2 is the absence of smart. And I want to look at that at least a little bit. But I want to start first. like Why Why do you think, Adam, they went into Game 1 the way that they did with that game plan?
1: Yeah, I mean, I keep citing every sentence with, I mean, I don't know why. <laughs> That's um, right. I mean... Uh, for me, I don't, I don't envision Udoka telling them to do that. You know, I've seen them throughout the season. There's been games where they have relied on hard digs to force ball handlers into into like an alley, basically. You know, you got to pick the ball up, you've got your two steps, and now you're kind of on the low block, and you don't really got anywhere to go. So it could be super beneficial, but I'd, I'd assume that. Udoka and the coaching staff were self-aware enough to know you can't really get away with that with Giannis because people do it to him every day and he's so strong he's going to brush you off. So my personal opinion was you came into the series after playing a a very perimeter-heavy Brooklyn team and then all of a sudden you've just got this gladiator just barreling down at you and it's kind of like an overreaction because you haven't had to deal with it for like two weeks, right? And you, you... all of a sudden you're like, let me dig, boom, oh that hasn't worked. Okay. I'm gonna have to just trail him now. Forget the guy behind me. He's varying into the rim. He's gonna explode over everybody. And I do think a lot of it was like overreactionary. And I saw some people like, oh, they bought into their own hype and I had a conversation about this the other day. I never really agreed with that, but what I do think is that they got a little bit um how to, they got a little bit relaxed. You know, that I think they they know they're the best defensive team in the league. They know what they're capable of, and then all of a sudden, you just just had this real big dose of reality. where it's like, hey, Kevin Durant might like to play, you know, create shooting pockets, play on the perimeter, and, and finesse you. Now you're against now you're against the bully, the big bad Wolves in town, and the he's going The modern shack, and I think that that was just it was just such an adjustment that people were overreacting out of sheer shock. Like, oh my god like this dude is, and I know they've seen him throughout the regular season they knew what to expect but when well, you're coming you're off honest, the back of the sweep thing. yeah exactly and when you're coming off a sweep of Kevin Durant you're going to have that spring in your step right. and I think for me I think it was the best thing that could have happened to them he's right
2: they needed humbling for sure mm. I mean in, in terms of the game plan though yeah is it was it a you know, momentary panic of being faced with as you've rightly put, the sort of modern day equivalent of Shack was were they going for the sort of hacker Shack mentality? Um, it all doesn't really matter now, though, does it? Because they so quickly figured out how how to best approach defending not just against him, but against some arguably really solid role players. Like I thought. Going into the series, that lacking Middleton was was really going to weaken them, and and I didn't give Portis enough credit. Uh, Bobby Portis, the man officially sponsored by Sunglasses Hut, and um, you know that 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 guy was uh, was pretty good from deep, and you know as uh, as smooth Smooth mentioned, you know he, he he can nail the hook shot, Get some
0: hook hook shots,
2: yeah, right. Um, and then Holiday is yeah he's. Very, very good second option. Um, so, so yeah, I, th- I think that false sense of security going into game one um, knocked them on their ass, and just like they've done since January, they got up, they dusted themselves off, and they, and um, without Marcus Smart as well, they they came out swinging, and what an end result to the game two.
1: I'm trying to throw it out there. Just um, you know, Giannis ended that game with what was it, twelve assists, thirteen assists, fourteen yep. assists—something yeah, yeah. ridiculous. Uh, he's not that type of passer. He's not no. that type of playmaker. Those those role players outside of Drew Holiday, who is a legitimate dude, like you know, the you know, Pat Connaughton, Bobby Portis. These guys are streaky. They, yeah. I, I came in. If you search for my Twitter, I came in expecting Bobby Portis to be one of those role players that really stepped up in this series. Because of the physicality,
0: mm.
1: but they got going because they were so open. Mm. Because of all the collapsing lineups, because of the overreactions, that's why there were so many open looks, and that's why everything was just so easy for them. And then you come again into game two where Boston play, and all of a sudden I tweeted this out: uh, Boston, you know, Boston in game one and game two. Game one, I think they made they manufactured twenty nine open threes, but they made barely any. In game two, they manufactured 25 open threes and they made, like, I think it was like nine or ten of them. Like, it right. was just Boston shot poorly and they just unlocked the door, opened it and let that, you know, let the three little piggies were in trouble. You know what I mean? People, there was no, your door's wide open and you've got the thieves coming in. And it just felt that it felt that way. But those role players are only that good
2: when they're that wide open. As far as in sure. my personal opinion, outside no, no, the no, trip. no. I think no. I think you're right. And quickly
0: thinking about, um, you know, one one last dynamic between that game one, game two, uh, the the absence of smart. You know, going into that game two, I know there was certainly a part of my mind that was like, regardless of what adjustments we make, especially with consideration to the quality of player that Drew Holiday is. I'm like, this is going to be even tougher than game one now mm-hmm. because we don't have really that, you know, who, who I've always kind of been defensive player of the year. I mean, you know, you've got the defensive player of the year and now you don't. That's that's a loss. Right. And so to come out and win with the confidence that we did, um, that was I'd, I'd lie if as much as I, you know, had that in my mind as certainly a possibility. I'm also not so ridiculous to not realize that I'm blinded by my, you know, enthusiasm and adoration of this team. So we've got recent news or or it's coming out that we could probably expect Smart to be playing in game 3 now. You have to assume if he's good, I mean he's got a tendency of when he comes back from an injury, that first game back, he's usually on fire. Like he yeah. comes out jack. It's usually the second game after he comes back. That he gets like a because he, he gets so ramped up for that first one back. He's so fired up. Then that second one, he kind of like he has to recalibrate and get himself back into that steadiness. Um, so I'm expecting if he plays, he's gonna be a monster. Um now I know, Adam, you had mentioned the the short roll. And what I'm really grateful about is you noticed this watch in the game. And based on what we've seen to this point, I have to imagine you doka noticed that too. So I'm reckoning he's not going to come in to game three without giving those guys a sense of what he's going to expect of them. And like you said, probably say something along the lines of just feast, let him, let him try to feast in that mid range. Like we're going to, we're just going to let that happen. Cause like you said, we don't want to leave those guys on the perimeter open. Um, do you think that going into this game three with smart back and based on what we saw in game two? I mean, should we feel anything other than confidence moving forward? Is this Bucks team so good that regardless of what we figured out, we should still kind of anticipate this to go seven?
1: Yeah, I mean, again, I mean, um, (laughs) so (laughs) I don't know why it's happening, dude. It's a nurse, obviously. I think for me, it's like, I've said this multiple times throughout the week. We need to find the median on both sides of the coin. Mm. Game one, Milwaukee are hotter than they usually are from free. Game two, they're really cold. Game one, Boston are cold from free. Game two, they're hot. We haven't, we haven't seen this series settle yet. So yeah. we don't know what the median looks like for both teams. We've seen both extremities. And until we see what the both of these teams look like playing I said, for lack of a better word, ordinary basketball, mm-hmm. it's going to be really hard to be like, oh, this team has the advantage or this team, we can talk about matchups, you know, I think Boston has the better matchup advantage uh, one-to-one, but you switch heavy systems, change things, and, you know, Giannis is always an X-factor because he's always likely to just do something crazy, throw a self hoop off the backboard, get the crowd jumping in, you know, so like, uh, for me, oh, dude, it was so embarrassing. Oh, like, for me, it's a seven game. I feel like it's a seven game simply yeah. because I don't think we have any legitimate data yet. We've seen outliers from both teams in both games. It's really hard to to know how these guys match up on a standard Saturday afternoon American time.
0: Oh, let me, you know what? You, you mentioned in that because game one is early afternoon game, right? Always and- no panic. Oh, okay, so we got a user in the sub, uh, user do animator 6988 uh, Is it me, or are the C's not an afternoon basketball team? Like, should we be looking at game three and the fact that it's a, a relatively afternoon game and basically be like, it, this isn't going to go well?
1: Like, what, is that a thing? It's been a thing for about two years now, right? Oh. Like, every matinee for, for Stevens final season was an absolute, like, can, can we curse on this show? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, it was a shit show. Every, <laughs> yeah. every, every matinee, because I remember yeah. at this 19, ain't CBS. I used to. Um, I I I don't tweet as much as I used to. Um, but I used to, and I don't know why it's just kind of happened. But I used to tweet through every matinee game, and it got to a point where I was like, "Dude, man, like, I'm not, I'm not even watching it." Because, and I'd still, would, I, you know, for punishment. We we all bleed green. We all live and die with this team, yeah. but. For the last two years, I just feel like they just can't get themselves geared up for that early. And I don't, you know, like Rob Williams got a newborn, like probably a few months old at this point. Has that dude's sleep schedule settled? You know, a night game helps him get that mid-afternoon nap. Tatum's got got Deuce. So if Tatum has a late night, he's still getting up with Deuce in the morning, you know. I'm sure if you have guys got kids, you know those days where you're just like, dude, I went to bed at two kid had me up at seven because I wanted to go play water guns in the, in the backyard. Mm-hmm. Like, it just, it happens. So I think, you know, young teams that, you, you have to take that human element into account. And I think that's something that a lot of NBA fans, a lot of the media don't do is they, they don't look at these people as human beings. That, you know, when they're not on the basketball court, they're with family, they're with kids. Maybe one of them's got a new girl and he wants to take her out on town. And like, all those human elements play into it. And when you're so young, those two three pm games, they're the worst, man. If you, when you was in your early twenties, did you want to be anywhere at two pm? Hell no. <laughs> yeah, do you know what I'm saying? Granted, you weren't being paid thirty million a year, but that doesn't change the fact that you're, you know, 22 and you're like, dude, man, I just SpongeBob, done.
0: You know. You know
1: what I mean? And like, I want to watch SpongeBob.
2: I think what what uh what was a big factor on that on that Sunday as well on that game one was. At that time in the afternoon, Jalen, who is fasting for Ramadan, is is he's, he hasn't had any water, he hasn't had any food by this point, and you you've got to think that like, I know I know there, you know there are exceptions that be made, but this this guy's pretty pretty devout, so he's he's not going to break the fast. So the difference between his performance from game one to game two is like night and day, and could that nourish Jalen? Yeah, Norris, Jalen. I mean, I mean, the guy, the guy looked cooked in game one, and the the hamstring looked like it was much more of a problem. And then game and then two, game I know two, it I, I, dude
0: evolved into Emerald Agassi.
2: Man, he he walked into that arena dressed like a serial killer. And what did he do? <laughs> he killed the Bucks. He was on fire. And I know that there there was so much to talk about that game. You know, Grant and and Al turning back the clocks and and you know. Tatum really kind of playing point Tatum again. But I just I love how how Jalen came out with so much fire. And I'm kind of hoping that now you know Ede has passed and he'll he'll be nourished going into to game three, that he can kind of keep some of that consistency. That we're not gonna see a drop back to, you know, twelve points. We're gonna see, you know, a a twenty plus performance from him. Adam, I'm wondering your thoughts, because one of the things Jalen's first half was bananas,
0: like just bonkers. I, 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 I don't know the last time I've seen that. Bir- like I know Jalen's had some moments where he's just been ruthless and seemingly unstoppable, but this just seemed like on another level for Jalen. Like it was like, there was nothing this guy couldn't do in those, in that first half, but he did get quiet in that second half. He only had like five points in the second half. Do you think that was just because of the way the game had kind of gone to that point or did, Milwaukee make an adjustment that you had noticed?
1: I didn't see anything like too different. I think that they threw a a few different guys at him. There was a few different looks, you know, maybe I think they threw a bit more length at him at times. I think that one of the things with Jalen is, and if you listen to my podcast, you know that I'm, sometimes I'm a little overly critical of Jalen because I know he's so good, right? And like, uh, but I You were spot on the
0: other day though, talking about that dribble. Because he, yeah, he, he, he when he goes in and he gets that dribble in front of him, it's a mess. It's always a mess. He he, like finishing. you said, he needs that one dribble and just get in there. Go.
1: Yeah, just play finish all day long. And I think that, in, that you throw a bit of length on him and you take away that play finishing ability unless he's catching unless it's a catch and shoot opportunity. Now, Jalen in the first half of that game was really cooking from that mid-range. You know, he was getting to his spot, pulling up off the dribble. And what Jalen is exceptional at, is scoring off the dribble, is scoring off of transition through the rip-through where you catch the ball, just step and just go, like rip it through and go. Um, I think that when you throw a bit of length on him, that's probably going to deter him from trying to do some of that stuff because he knows he's turnover prone in situations where he has to try and dribble his way out of trouble. Uh, so I think there was times where I saw like bigger guys on him. I think Drew spent a bit of time on him as well.
0: And you know, Drew, Drew Holiday is... And that dude is a legit of, defender.
1: Someone yeah, said yeah. to me the other day, it's crazy that Marcus Smart won defensive player of the year before Drew, not over Drew oh, Holiday, yeah, yeah, but yeah. before Drew Holiday, because like, that's the level of defender Drew is yeah. as well. You know, he, He's a yes. dog like him, Pat Bev, Marcus Smart. If you, the only difference is Pat Bev and Marcus Smart aren't really as offensively gifted as what Drew Holiday yeah. is. And I yeah, think that's why Drew Holiday isn't seeing in that same tier when yeah. really he should be.
0: But he's gotten into the all-star game. You know, so you know, there's the and that's oftentimes the first knock that people will give on uh, on Smart is you know he's he's not the kind of guy that's gonna ever end up in the All Star game. Obviously, they're not remembering that Hawks team where like Kyle Korver ended up in the damn All Star game. So I mean, like anything is possible. I'm just saying.
1: <laughs> I want an all hustle team, I do. I think that's something that needs. To be. You've got the all defensive team, but being an all defensive team does as the captains. Yeah, all hustle. <laughs> I'd love an all hustle team because that's different. It's just, it's a different type of basketball, you know, you just need the goons in there. Mm. Marcus Smart, like you say, Pat Bev should be in there in the mm-hmm. backcourt with Marcus. Like that that's an exercise for another day, but an, an all-hustle yeah. team, I think that would be a nice addition to the voting process.
0: I want to look at one more matchup uh, going into game three that I'm pretty interested in and, and curious about. I've been, I've, I feel like I've been trying to be patient with Rob and what I expect coming from him because Obviously he's coming back from from the injury and, and having uh the surgery. And I all the all the talk coming out is that he's fine, he's feeling great, there's not there's not swelling, there's not pain. But at the same time, you know, I think as fans, given his history, it's just hard not to feel a little bit nervous every time he's out there. That being said, as I'm watching, he does look physically fine out there, but I'm wondering, is this a really tough matchup going against the Bucks for him because of that length? Um, where like, we typically see him being just a remarkable difference maker, somebody that other teams just can't really figure out how to scheme around. And as I'm thinking about it, I'm looking at the Milwaukee team and I'm like, Giannis does a lot of what we kind of have Rob do only. And I'm not trying to like hate on Rob. Everyone knows I love the time Lord. But like Giannis is better. <laughs> and mm-hmm. Giannis does all things better. It, you know, he maybe the only thing he maybe doesn't do is shoot better. They probably both are equally capable shooters. But it just seems like, you know, if anything, he he would end up trying to stop him. And anytime he's ended up on Giannis, he's just getting bodied. Like he doesn't have the strength, right? Like he he's got more length and athleticism than Grant. But you've got to be a, a, a like a you've got to be made out of marble absorb the contact coming from this guy and that's not how Rob's built and then you've got Brooke Lopez who's another like behemoth human like that's a seven legit seven footer and he's not like a skinny seven footer like this is a a filled out seven footer that can shoot and go inside is this just going to be one of those matchups where we're probably just not going to be able to enjoy the the Rob dynamics that we typically do I think that, you
1: know, this is one of the worst matchups for Rob. I mean, it's a very half court based, like, contest. Everything's in, every, both teams are setting up in half court offenses. Rob usually likes to slip out of screens early to get into that role. And then you get the over, like, the lub. That's not really possible because you've got Brooke Lopez, one of the best room protectors in the league, waiting to contest Rob on that lub. We saw him block a lub play in game two where they ran that motion rip. And then if you don't know what that is, go on to my Instagram right there. Uh shameless plug. But they ran that motion rip and got rub the lub rubbed the lub the and then Brooke Lopez just rotated over and swatted it away while Rub's midair. Mm. You, it's not just Brooke, you've got Giannis down there, you've got Bobby Portis down there. These guys are all tall, long and athletic, and they're all physical. Rub doesn't have the usual avenues to kind of slip out of screens and jump up because they're not putting their bigs up to this up to the level of the screen. They're having so much drop because they don't they don't want to let Rub get in behind them. They want to keep him in front. And they know they're physical enough that they can buddy him. You know, what I mean yeah. Rob's getting dislodged on both sides of the floor fairly easily. And that's because he's more athletic than he is strong. And that's completely fine because there's going to be other there's going to be other series or other games where he's incredibly dominant for Boston. I think that, you know, you might see that against Miami if Boston, when Boston get through to the finals, when? Uh, the conference finals. But for now, I think that this just doesn't... This is the worst possible matchup for him. half-court offence with three behemoths that are all playing along that low helpline that are all really good rim protectors. That's why you saw Rob settle for that one, like... I wouldn't say corner, but corner adjacent, midi in yeah, the game two yeah, because yeah. it's just like, dude, what else am I going to do? I need to score somehow. Looked all right. It yeah. was nice. It was yeah, beautiful. It right. I was very happy.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I want to throw a, a, an, another comment out there. We've got uh, user Whitetail twenty seven who uh, has the comment based on the second half of game two. It looks like the Bucks, and this is this is going right into what you were talking about. Looks like the Bucks are going to use Giannis as a screener more. I would bet Rob has a big test tomorrow as the backline help defender. So uh, thinking about that and thinking about Giannis kind of being used more as a screener um, and, and rolling a little bit more, exploring that mid-range, what are your thoughts about what we should expect or, or how Rob can maybe try to have as much impact as he can, given some of his maybe strength limitations in this matchup?
1: I think that, you know, the first things first is we need to kind of decipher what, what type of, and roll are we talking about are we expecting Janis to be a full roll man down towards the rim or are we expecting the short roll if it's the short roll there's three ways that you can defend that generally you can either bring your drop guy if you're playing drop you can bring your drop guy up towards the roll man so he comes from by the rim up to the free throw line extended and he, he's the one to challenge the roll man that's the worst possible thing to do against Janis because he will get you on his hip and now he has an open run and then rubs under the pressure to rotate over from the weak side as the low man and it's just not going to end well for Boston there. So you keep you keep your your drop defender in drop and you leave that mid range. The second option is obviously you switch that you switch the initial pick and roll action and then you get Yannis gets a mismatch and you rotate to scram the mismatch out. And then the third is you just live with that mid range. So you want to live with the mid range if it's a full pick and roll action and right. I know it's a bit weird to say full. It's just a pick and roll action, right? If Giannis is just a deep roll man then, you know, you you want Grant Williams or Al Horford in drop, waiting to meet him before the rim, absorbing that contact, either taking the charge or killing the drive. Robert Williams, to me, against Giannis, isn't really going to be very effective mm. as a as a free safety. I think that the best opportunity he's got is to time it and come in from the rear view and get the, the behind uh, block, but you're also probably going to foul more than you're going to block because your timing has to be almost impeccable. Your body position has to be great, and if you go into the dude, it's on you anyway. So I think it's going to be more about limiting the honest getting towards the paint. You know, you want your drop to not be so deep that you're already in the restricted area, but you don't want it to be so shallow that you're meeting him at the free throw line. I think it's going to be, it's going to be kind of like a football game in that sense, where it's a, yeah. it's, a it's a, it's going to be a game of inches. How far off can you stop him from getting to the rim? And then the most important thing is anticipating the Euro step because if Giannis is baroning and down at and you and gets the ball and he sees you in front of him, he's got enough time to Euro step or to Veer step, which is kind of similar, but you get the guy in jail when you do it. Mm. Um, and that's going to be where somebody like Rub actually has value in rotating over to be that big buddy, to challenge you on that Euro step. But uh, I think outside of that, I, d- I don't see Rob being too much of an issue there. I think he'll spend more time guarding guys on the perimeter.
2: Yeah he he needs not to uh not to bite so hard cuz he got himself into foul trouble and that there's that play uh, uh, about halfway through the fourth where he's 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 already picked up five personal and he he goes up for the block and I'm like that's it he's he's going to be out but they they took him out just after that play and he comes back in for the final 2 minutes and 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 thankfully sees the game out but man uh even even though, as you say, he's not going to be effective against Giannis, you still want him out there and you don't want him checking out, you know. Uh, 100%. the game. And I had felt as I was watching game one and game two,
0: like his timing just seemed off, mm. you know, every time he would go, like he was, he was, he's definitely came back, even in the um, in the Brooklyn series when he came back, it seemed like he was biting on a little bit. It almost looked like some of the old Rob that we remembered. Where he was just kind of head hunting for blocks, I I think even game one he had settled that down a bit, but it just seemed like his timing wasn't quite right. Maybe he's just trying to like reestablish that trust with his body and stuff like that, given everything. But I'll tell you, there was there was that one play and I'm not going to remember exactly where it was, but he got the oop, and or maybe it, it might not have even been an oop. It might have just been um on the break, but he got it and he didn't have to like dribble or anything. Just was able to go up and slam it, mm. and it seemed like in that moment it kind of clicked back in for him. Like he just seemed to be alive on defense again. He seemed to have like this, he just looked more engaged again. It was like, he kind of, it woke him up and reminded him, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. that's right. That's what this is supposed to feel like. Um. So I'm hopeful that going into game three, he's going to kind of just get that swagger back that he had before he had got that injury. Cause that was, that's really been the biggest thing for me, separate from the obvious discipline that he's expressed in in the way he's Uh, played defense this year where he hasn't been on as many fakes and he's been a a lot more disciplined uh, on his jumping even and, and being just more kind of in control during the game but you also just see a different swagger where like he just doesn't seem to have any um inhibition about what he's doing he just seems to confidently know where he needs to go what he needs to do um and that didn't up here as as evident especially in game one but i felt like i saw that again after that dunk like it was like he got that thing and he just was like yep i'm feeling normal again let's let's go to work uh was that something that stood out to either one of you guys or, or am i kind of making stuff up to make myself feel better
2: well that was that was the 200 jam that that came after they put triple bigs on right and i thought well if if this is what's happening with triple bigs give me quad bigs give give me give me a full <laughs> row of them because it, it yeah it did seem like he refound his confidence but i don't know the 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 leaps he's made in just this year or, or just the last you know four five months um i just think he was a bit rattled i don't i don't feel like rob's regressing um that he's just he's just going up against such a such a dominant force, you know, a, a six eleven a guy that stood next to a, a legit seven footer who is more mobile than I remember him being. Like, when did Lopez? Lopez get this yeah. good?
0: Yeah. Um, well, I mean, honestly, I, I remember him from his Brooklyn days, and like he mm. couldn't move hardly at all out there. And no. all of a sudden now he's like, you know, a ballet dancer. What the hell? Like, what? Who's his
2: Who's trainer? I, I need a phone around.
0: number. Yeah.
2: The
1: same as JaVale McGee, right? It's that vegan. Right. I don't know if Brooke Lopez is vegan, but, like, it's that vegan, though. It'll change
0: it. I, I guess. Whatever it is, like, it needs to start that marketing. Food, they need to... Whoever's helping Brooke Lopez needs to get... Whoever, uh, you know, is doing uh, Hanlon's PR stuff with Tatum and Embiid and all that, like... Because whoever's doing work with, with Brooke Lopez needs a, a damn medal, because that guy is mm. just... I, 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 I've i been blown away this series, too. Um. With the mobility I think the bigger I thought, question
1: is Why isn't Robin Working with him? <laughs> <laughs> like, you're not going to Share that dude With your brother You're going right? to let Your brother crash Out league.
0: <laughs> no, no, that's some shady yeah. shit <laughs> Right <laughs> Or maybe it is His brother right Because his brother Was yeah, the defensive guy know.
1: Yeah right? yeah You just don't know him, man. Yeah maybe know Maybe him.
0: once his brother Was like you know what I'm kind of all set I'm done Let, let me help you out though Because like You know That would be Another hell of a documentary Man I'll be (laughs) done. I'm saying. Uh, All right. After uh, this, we're going to, we're going to exchange. we're going to, we're going to start making some real legit NBA docs that. And not for nothing. The NBA is like desperately in need of some legitimate docs, like stuff like the last dance and this, the 30 thirties demonstrate there's a huge interest out there for high quality, well-produced stuff. Um, There's not enough of it. You end up having to like search. You know, and not—I don't want to throw any shade or hate at anyone putting out content because anyone putting out content, especially when it's NBA related, I appreciate you for sure. I do, um, but a lot of it doesn't like just satisfy individual. the hunger. You know, like it's just not Snickers. What are you gonna do? Shout out Snickers! You can you can hit us up for further uh, endorsement <laughs> opportunities.
1: I've been asking donkeys to endorse me for about four years. I'm still waiting. <laughs> <laughs> still
0: waiting. All right. Um, hey, I I don't want to take up uh, too much more of your time here, Adam, but I, I want to give you the last word in, in thinking about, uh, you know, game three and, and looking ahead. So last word and and make sure to close out with letting folks know where they can find you in, in all of your work, because the, the breakdowns you're putting out, the articles you're putting out, it's all fire, man. And, and mm. people need if they're if they're keen on the Celtics, they need to be savvy to what you're putting out.
1: Yeah, I appreciate that, man. Honestly, true. I, whenever somebody tells me to read my stuff, I'm just like, you you, you read my stuff, yeah. really? <laughs> like I appreciate it though. It's a humbling, a very humbling experience. Um last word, really, I've got the bus I've got the next two games being split one one apiece. I think it's gonna come back to Boston for game will be that will be game five. I think it's gonna be tied up. I expect this to be done in sev- in seven. I expect Boston to win at home in front of the TD Garden crowd. And then I expect them to go on and to take care of business against Miami, which is going to be tough, but you know, we got a flex around here because if you any, you know, you got a flex, it's for the Gram these days, right? So yeah, I, I in terms of adjustments, I really don't see what Milwaukee can do other than put Giannis in these pick and roll actions. Maybe they can start running some more designed plays, but that's not really Mike Budenholzer's style of coaching. It's not really how Milwaukee are designed as a team. So I expect to see more of the same from Milwaukee with a few little caveats that might take us by surprise. And I think Boston's defense is going to be able to stand strong now. They've got that one-on-one kind of matchup with Giannis. Uh, if you want to find me, you can find me over at celticsblog.com. Find me at Twitter, at AdamTaylorNBA. That's just me tweeting thoughts, the occasional video, the occasional stat. And usually I might get into a little bit of a dispute with somebody because it's Twitter. What else is it for? Um <laughs> And then video breakdowns like X's and O's breakdowns and stuff. You can find over at Instagram at Adam Taylor MBA, where I do all of the nice little pretty lines and drawings and stuff on the actual footage. Other than that, man, it's my, thank you for having me on, man. So it's always hey, a we, pleasure.
0: We appreciate having you. Um, and, and we're, we're going to have to do this again for sure. Cause it's, yeah. listen, I feel like every time, whether I'm listening to your pod, watching one of your breakdowns or, or being able to have some conversation and discourse with you uh, on the pod, it's a, uh, it's always, an, it's, it feels like I'm just learning more about the game because I don't tend to, I tell this to spoons all the time. My mind doesn't see the things that, that your guys's like attention are able to catch in the flow of it. My eyes and everything just seem to catch other types of stuff. Um, and so every time I'm, I'm listening and watching, it does, it, it feels like I'm genuinely learning more about the game and it's helping me appreciate and enjoy these contests. Cause now I'm better understanding the strategies that are taking place out there when you, start seeing the stuff that you're talking about happening in real time and you're actually seeing what it means when coaches make adjustments or don't make a coach when a coach doesn't make adjustments shout out Nash Um, (laughs) it's just you know it's a pleasure so appreciate you being on Uh, we're gonna we're gonna end there we want to let everybody know to uh, you know we appreciate you listening and your ongoing engagement and support of the Celtics Red podcast please continue to give us feedback Throw us your questions, your ideas in the subreddit. Um, you can also find us in our growing channel on YouTube, as well as uh, reach out to us on Twitter at Celtics Reddit Pod. Uh, PJ, I want to thank you again for joining us as well. Um, and until you know next time, hopefully we're going to be talking about another Celtics win. Uh, be well, peace.